This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Karen Meyer. Hey, Karen. Hi. I'm curious how about your path. Your your bio uh, reads uh, very interestingly. You started off as a professional ballet dancer, and then studied physics, and then ended up as a software developer. Yeah, yeah, that it was a surprise. So, uh, growing up, I attended the School for Creative and Performing Arts mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, and um, was big into ballet. The uh, term that they call us were, were bunheads because huh. <laughs> we'd oh, yeah, walk right, right. with our hair and buns. Um, so. Uh, the thought of doing computer programming or anything else than ballet was kind of out of my head. I just wanted to do ballet. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough, actually, to um, audition and work professionally for a small ballet company in Memphis for a couple of years right after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And that was very good. But at the end of a couple of years, I started reevaluating my life as I was living on mattresses and eating ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it wasn't the uh, best career choice. So I decided to go back to college. Mm -hmm. And um, I chose physics for two reasons. One, because uh, I kind of like to know how things work. You know, that's very appealing. And I liked math. But I also had a really inspirational uh, physics teacher Mm. in high school that was a woman. And um, from that point, role models, I I think, have impacted my life uh, very positively. Because I don't know whether I had, when I was sitting down, trying to decide which way to go if I hadn't had her as a role model I don't know if I would have gone that way yeah totally so then after physics (laughs) so then I graduated physics I really love physics um I was thinking about going on but I didn't really want to do the whole PhD thing Mm -hmm. and at the time when you graduate with bachelor's in physics there really isn't much for you to do yeah right (laughs) so luckily this this new computer science stuff was going on. There were lots of programming jobs and people looking for it. So I just kind of got sucked into it. I did a little of um, programming in college with Mathematica Mm -hmm. and doing um, some modeling. And I really liked that and just kind of grew into it. So now I I love what I'm doing. So how did you get that first job with the physics background, having done not much programming already? It was uh, on college recruiting with a consulting firm. And uh, they're like, eh, you got a bachelor's in science, you can program. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. Which turned out to be true. So <laughs> it worked. So it worked for me. Yeah. You, as, as you were talking about the ballet stuff, I was reminded like it's, it's, it feels like a shame to me how difficult arts careers are. Yeah. Like it's, I, I sing myself and, and have a number of friends that are professional singers. And it's just such a hard gig. And like the, the friends I have that are professional singers are like already in like the, the 1% of the 1% of people that can make a living doing some sort of arts thing. And they're still struggling. It's still hard. It's just still yeah. a really hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. And you obviously end up doing it for the love of it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not the money. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there is possibility of making money if you like you really hit it, hit it big. But it's not like if you're a football player and you hit it big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sort of a bigger payoff, I guess. Right. Totally. Well, I don't know. Maybe professional singers. I mean, if you're a pop star, you know. Yeah, you right. Could... Exactly. At the at the very, very end of that spectrum. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but still, it's, it's a shame. I wish I wish it was easier to have a career like that. Like, because there, there's a lot of good that can come out of you know things in the arts that way. So yeah. it's it's too it's, it's a shame. It's so hard. 
Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of people that have come into computer programming, though, from the arts background. Like, I know a lot of um, people that have come in from the music background in particular. Totally. I was actually going to ask you about that. Like, I've definitely I noticed the same thing. Mm-hmm. Music in particular, there's a lot of music in our in our field. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but I'm, I'm curious if you have any guesses. I, I don't don't know. I, I personally don't know how to read music. I, I, that's horrible. I wish I had <laughs> learned, but I mm-hmm. never did. But I, if I had to guess, which is just a wide guess, yep. it would be having just something with like languages. There's a finite number of, of parts. There's notes mm. that you compose and, and form in different ways, and you have rules in which you can make them work. And I, I think that's a lot like programming languages. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, could be. Uh, so you are writing a book. I am. I am. Um, actually, I just got an email uh, yesterday that I went to production. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Oh, I know. I know. I'm so, so excited. So I actually ha- might actually have a real book in my hands in like a few weeks. So going to production in the book world means something different than our going to production, but also means the same thing. Uh, yeah. So the process of writing a book... I had never done it before, obviously, so I had no no idea <laughs> yeah. what goes into it. So there's there's definitely the the writing phase. You write a chapter, and then your editor kind of looks at it, and mm-hmm. then um, then you rewrite it. <laughs> right, of course. And then you write chapter two, and then um, you rewrite chapter two and chapter one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just kind of go along that the the whole way. And so that that's um, sounds part like programming, of the, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So it's it's a it's a pretty long process to get written and then goes through some proofing after all the, the technical reviews and the feedback, then actually goes to professional proofers. And it's amazing how I don't know grammar. <laughs> this is what I discovered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I just saw all the all the corrections. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> I should should really look into uh, well actually I've, I've, I hope that my writing skills have increased through this process but still there was a lot of red yeah a good friend of mine uh, wrote a book recently and and went through this a similar process and said by the end he, he felt like he was writing at just a much much higher level like his writing yeah. had tightened up a lot did you did you experience that yeah definitely um so I'm a lot more conscious of um now when I'm writing blog posts or articles of just you know, keeping the reader more in mind and th- things that make easier transitions um, for the reader. Interesting. So like mental transitions, like time uh, sections yeah. together, you mean? Well, mental transitions between sections and kind of having a structure to lead somebody through an idea uh, and not have them make, jump around too much. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting. Uh, a coworker of mine is almost finished writing a book about uh, Haskell and I did a lot of editing for it. And that was actually a lot of the things that I suggested was, you know, can you tie this back? Like, can you, can you make this thing relate to this thing more? Can you like pull this example from this section back again and and talk about it again or like keep referring to the same thing? Uh, Cause, cause you're right when it's sort of just now we're talking about a new thing. It's like, if it's totally new and unrelated to the things before you've lost context and you have to start start from scratch. Yeah. It's totally, it is a different skill set. So um, I totally respect <laughs> the other people that have written books and yeah. that are really good at, good at it because it is a different skill set. Yeah, I'm sure you have a new appreciation for it now. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. what, so so are, you, are you done with active writing then? That's production means they're actually like printing it on yes. paper, right? Yes, they're actually printing it on paper. Okay. So yes, I'm done. You're done. <laughs> so do you feel like a million dollars? Uh I feel like a weight is kind of lifted off. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> Do you? Has it been replaced by like? I hope everyone likes this book. 
Uh, yes. I mean, I, I hope that it's useful for people. Um, I've gotten some good positive feedback that um, people have seemed to like it. So mm-hmm. hopefully it'll be useful for people and make it easier to have bring new people into the closure world. Uh-huh. So I know there's something that's, that seems, at least to me, unique about this book, which is uh, the second half of it is a structured set of daily exercises. It's yeah. like a seven-week program to kind of get you into functional programming. I think that's such a cool angle. Yeah. So this was brought about when I was trying to run. Mm-hmm. And I'd always been one of those people that, you know, people around me were running. And I was like, I can't run. You know, I just, I hate running. I'm just, my body's not made for running. I just I had a million excuses of why I couldn't run. Yep. And I would try it every now and then. And it would just reinforce the idea that I couldn't run because I would be in pain and out of breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ran into this program. It was called um, Ease Into 4K, uh, 5K. Mm-hmm. And there's there's lots of other running programs to take a similar approach. But it, it just had structured plans. So it started out, you just run a little bit and walk a little bit the first day. And then you build up. And you do this over a course of, I think it's like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And that was like this huge weight lifted off of me. Like I didn't have to do it all at once. Right. And that was the reason why I was failing. So when I actually just did it a little bit at a time and gave my body a chance to accustom it, I could actually get through and run at the end of it, which mm-hmm. I thought was incredible. And as I was doing this at the same time, this is kind of what ties it in, <laughs> we, were, um, we were discussing with a group of programmers, other people, they, they, they kind of know that I'm into closure and I love closure. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were trying to learn it. And they said, I just don't know. I just, I don't think my brain's made to do closure and I, I can't do it. I, and I said, well, how did you try it? You know, I'm interested in, in what, what you were doing, how you were learning this. Oh, I picked up a book and tried to do it all over the weekend. Right. And I just didn't feel like I could get it. I'm like, well, that's the same thing I was doing with running. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot longer, especially if I think if you're coming from an object-oriented background, right. it is a different way of thinking and you do need to give your brain a chance to adjust to it. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's it's so interesting. There's I feel like we there's a skill that we kind of lose as we age, which is being comfortable with being bad at something, mm-hmm. or sort of ha- failing to have learned it so far. And I feel like when you if you if you look at children trying things, they don't seem to exhibit this. Like they'll sort of happily play soccer really poorly, or like like fail yeah. to get something and just kind of keep trying. And they don't seem to feel this distress of like, wow, I can't do this yet. Yeah. But if you ha- put yourself in the same position as an adult, you're like, I tried closure for four hours and it wasn't right, so therefore I'm just not meant for this. Like I'll, yeah. I'll never get this, and and it was uncom- yeah. too uncomfortable to continue. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like that. It's like that with any learning any new thing, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think if we remember that it takes a while yep. <laughs> and we have somebody tell us that it's okay, then it's like, oh, well, this is expected. I'm not supposed to get it right away. It's right. all right. Yeah. <laughs> so. so can you, what, what is the, what do the, the exercises look like? Uh, so it's broken into a few parts. Mm-hmm. The uh, first few weeks are doing um, a selection of foreclosure mm. exercises. Yep. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with I the am, website. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic project. So you can do little exercises that um, kind of give you the answer, and then you have to make the test pass. Right. But on online. Yep. So um, it's working through a few of those a day, and they get progressively harder. Mm-hmm. And then after a few weeks of that, then moving on to some katas, I made a um, 
uh, a GitHub site called Wonderland Katas. So they're inspired by um, Alice in Wonderland because the the book also has kind of a theme of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Going through it. And uh, Lewis Carroll, or, uh, Carroll was also a, a great puzzle person. He loved puzzles and mm-hmm. word puzzles. Uh, so they're a selection of that as well. Nice. Very cool. And I, I heard that part of the one of the things you recommend is like getting involved in the community in some way, like integrating yourself a bit. Yes, yes. I think that's really key to uh, surrounding yourself with uh, other people that are learning and building things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like if you're learning French <laughs> yeah. to, to go over to France and just kind of immerse yourself. But I think that was key for me, mm-hmm. getting involved. Actually, my first open source project was the foreclosure. Um, so I have to give it to those guys. They made made it a really welcoming um, first project uh-huh. to contribute on, and that kind of propelled me into um, getting more involved with the community and contributing and building other things and sharing with others. That's so, so important. It's amazing how like that that first project going well probably had a lot of impact on you staying in the community versus being like, I'm, "This isn't for me." It did. It did. And having a friendly and welcoming <laughs> attitude yeah. really really um really helped absolutely that's huge so thank you all of you for yeah. closure people yeah. out there and and that's a great <laughs> site by the way if you're if you're looking to pick up closure it's it's like uh, a bunch of online problems and you type in a text field in your browser and it tells you if the test pass or not and it's and then you get to see other people's solutions which is mm-hmm. often the best part for me was i would spend you know 40 minutes writing an implementation of something and then someone else's solution is just laughably shorter than mine yeah it yeah just happened over and over again but warning, it's addictive. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes when you start, you just can't stop. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. So you are a Clojure fan. I am. I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, as I said, I, I studied physics in, in college, so I never really took any computer science courses. Mm-hmm. So I can't really tell whether I fell in love with Lisp or I fell in love with Clojure. Right. But I just I, – I love the – the whole prints, mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole print thing, and the yep. you know forms, and just how I, I love everything about it. So, <laughs> and then closure, I'll, I'll, of course, you have the the practicality of it as well, and the interop and the concurrency. So, yeah, that that doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. So you you wrote a blog post called the Hitchhiker's Guide to Closure that handles one of my favorite handles a, a thing I hear about closure a lot, and the the best way that I've heard so far. Which is, uh, you say, like, imagine that you have, like, the hitchhiker's got to closure, and on the front, as opposed to saying, don't panic, it says, don't worry about the parens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which is so, is, is such the right message. You know, you hear that from people all the time, like, ah, I tried closure, but, you know, and it's like, no, it's, it's just not a thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I like yeah. it. That was actually kind of fun, because I was on a Douglas Adams kick. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing, like, Douglas Adams closure fan fiction, which, um, I think is a new genre as yeah, far as I know. Probably. <laughs> Gotta imagine. So, um, yeah. Uh, some people um, are really put off by the prens. And I guess what I can say to them is it really, after you start working in it, it just goes away. You just kind of stop seeing it like mm-hmm. that, especially if you have a good editor or that uses pair edit. Mm-hmm. And that automatically matches up the prens for you and sorts them at the right level. I would actually much really prefer that over like a white space language. <laughs> so yep. it has some nice advantages that are kind of hard to appreciate until you've been using it for a little while. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so what, what is it about closure that you like? What, what drew you to it and what, what keeps you there? Well, I think it, first and foremost, it's the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the simplicity of the, the syntax, how you always have like the function, in the first place. And, you know, it's, 
it's it's just very beautiful in its elegance. And then, I mean, the whole practicality of it, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you can do things with it. Um, you can build things. It performs. You can do concurrency with it. And that's great, too. Mm-hmm. And then also the community is just fabulous. Mm. I have so many smart and creative and fun and nice people mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, that that is important. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And being part of a community where just new and exciting things are happening every day is really invigorating. Yeah. It feels like a lot of innovation is happening in, in the closure world. It is. It is both on the back end and the front end. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me. I started really paying attention to it because I noticed a lot of Rubyists th- that I respected a lot and thought of as being like sort of very smart and forward thinking and all that sort of leaving Ruby and going to closure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that might mean something. <laughs> true. I very true. Into this. Yep. Yeah. That, it, that is a trend. <laughs> yeah. It feels like the state of the art is being pushed forward more in the closure world than uh, a lot of other languages actually to me. Yeah, and I think it's a, it is a theme because uh, they're looking around in the in the core language and borrowing ideas from other languages. I mean, right. like Go loops and <laughs> totally. And what I I actually love that I, I like that Clojure looked at Go and said, you know what, that actually is that's how we should do it too. And they not we don't yeah. have to do something different just because another language has done this mm-hmm. already. Yeah, yeah. That um, I think is says a lot actually. Yeah, and the work that David Nolan and the Clojure Script community is doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even keep up with all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fantastic. Have you gotten a chance to use ClojureScript much? I have used it a little bit. I'm not. Uh, I've primarily been working on backend stuff, but yep. um, the ability to have some of the the same beautiful syntax and feeling like you have closure on the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great thing. Totally. I mean, just being able to work in one language. Mm-hmm. Did you come to Clojure? You you used to do Java, right? I did. I did. Um, I started out doing Java, and then I kind of moved to Ruby. Okay. And then um, from Ruby went to Clojure. Yeah. So, what was your uh, experience of moving from an OO to a functional language? So it took me a while, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think I really kind of have the functional mindset now, having worked in it for quite a while. But I can see myself going back when I try to get myself back in the OO mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the other day. I was um, doing some JavaScript and just having to do a loop and then mutate something in the loop. And I was like, how does this even work? I don't even, I don't even understand what this is. Yep. <laughs> so it, it is totally a different mindset. And your mind gets rusty <laughs> when you're not used to thinking that way. Sure, sure. Is there anything you'd remove from Clojure? Do you think it has any warts that you would love to see, you know, pulled off or changed in some way? Um. I'm pretty much a fan girl, yeah. so <laughs> I don't need to say Fair too enough. much. But, I mean, something that everybody can kind of agree on is the error messages. Well, I mean. sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. It's funny how that shows up in the, the survey every year. Like, worst part of closure, everyone just consistently says yeah. that. So, yeah. But, you know, Java is, has a lot to do with that. So. Sure. <laughs> yep. So I, I was reading a, on one of the posts from your blog, and you talk about um, the transition of working from home. Uh, mm-hmm. As being something that that can be tough, and but you mentioned that uh, pairing a lot really helps with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I first started my remote job, I was a little bit worried because I I really like working with people mm-hmm. and learning from people and being energized by um, that. And I was afraid that um, just me sitting alone with my code day after day would weigh on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I found 
doing some pairing while you're developing code is just like really being in the office with someone and mm. sitting next to them. Generally, I have two monitors going, and then I have one monitor that's uh, using Skype or um, HipChat or whatever the chat thing is and mm. uh, video conferencing, and then it has all your communications on it. And then the other monitor um, has a code. So it is really like you're just sitting there and being able to talk to somebody and develop on code, and you can share and collaborate on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, the nice thing is, is then you're in the comfort of your own home. You have your setup exactly the way that you like it. If you want it really warm in your room, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to worry if the other person's too hot. You sure. know, you can you can totally be comfortable in your environment. Yeah. And of course, you can pair with people anywhere. Um, you don't have to worry about geography. You don't have to worry about car traffic or anything. So yeah. it's nice. Do you, how, what percentage of time would you pair if it were up to you? Um, for me, I like pairing pretty much. I would say 80% to 90%. And then there's some things that it doesn't – I'm not dogmatic in it. So there's some things that it doesn't make sense to pair on. Um, for example, if it's just really nothing to discuss on it, if you're just you know doing some code tweaking or you know CSS or something like that, um, mm-hmm. I, there might not be huge value in it. But anything that you're building, I think that – I actually produce better code collaboratively than solo. Yep. And that's not to say that I don't like working solo. I do like working solo. I like getting in my own zone and doing my own things. But um, as far as the end result for the client, I think code produced by more than one person <laughs> on the whole <laughs> tends to be better. Same. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I'm curious, what would you recommend to people that don't pair a lot on how to be good at pairing? How do you be a good pair? Well, it's a skill. Yeah. Like anything else. Yeah. Um, and when I first started pairing, it was really draining mm-hmm. to pair constantly throughout the day. But I think taking turns, uh, we've kind of gotten into when, I, when I'm in a good pairing situation cadence, um, we'll have somebody, you have usually have somebody that's really the active driver or the active coder. Mm-hmm. And then somebody that's more passive, mm-hmm. um, kind of looking at the bigger picture and making sure you don't get stuck in rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. So changing that, um, maybe at lunchtime, mm-hmm. you know, pushing the ch- pushing to a branch and then switching drivers, mm-hmm. um, that seemed to work pretty well for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, just <laughs> being a good listener, yeah, I think is a is a good skill too. Yeah, I think the social stuff is is the hard part actually. Yeah, the mechanics is kind of the easy part. It's it's how do you offer feedback in a way that it's going to be accepted by somebody mm-hmm. and not going to be taken in an insulted way and, and, and things like that are the, the tricky the tricky bits yeah but when it's done right it really helps it helps not only the code but helps build both people's skills for sure yeah that's amazing for that i mean i think some of the the best moments in my development as a programmer have been pairing with people that are better than i am or have different skills than i do oh yeah and that, yeah. that's the wonderful thing is like no one's no two people that have an, the exact same set of skills. So you can pair with basically anyone and, and you will learn something over, you know, the course of an hour or two, at least at least one thing. Yes, which I love. definitely. Especially if you're pairing with people that are passionate about like environment or, you know, editor <laughs> shortcuts or things like that. Like it's it's that's great. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I've enjoyed because I usually use Emacs. But I like pairing with somebody that is like a Vim wizard mm-hmm. or, you know, some other editor, IntelliJ that I'm like, Wow. I didn't know that your editor could do that. That's really cool. Yep. You know? That's a that's a very good attitude to have. That can be hard to develop. 
Like for me, when you're once you when you're when you're very used to your environment, you know, if you go somewhere else where you're completely unaccustomed, it's it's tough to give up that that feeling mm-hmm. of power and control. But it seems like you've managed it. I got a pretty open mind. <laughs> That's good. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, the impact of uh, you had a, f- a physics professor that you th- mm-hmm. was really important to you. Yeah. Do you have any other examples of role models impacting the way your life has gone in a big way? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I was fortunate enough to um, work for a while with Jim Wyrick. Oh, nice. And he was just a fantastic role model. I mean, he was not only a fantastic developer and teacher, but just a wonderful person. Mm. So um, I've just I've learned so much from him or just being around him for the years that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way he taught people, the way he did presentations, um, the way that he pair mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the way that he was just kind to everybody yeah. and uh, shared his love of programming and, you know, it inspired so many people. So he is definitely um, one of my role models. Yeah. Was the kindness, do you think, the, the, the important thing there? It was definitely core to who he was. Yeah. <laughs> so I just share a little story of um, after, shortly after he passed away in our office, I had all sorts of people um, coming up to me uh, expressing condolences uh, from the other offices that I had never met. Mm. And, you know, in particular, uh, the cleaning people, they, <laughs> because you know, it, it just, everyone, he would, everyone yeah. he met, he was just super kind to, he'd show him what he was doing. He was into drones. He would, if you're walking down the hallway, you'd see him with just random people showing him how to program the drones and having them fly him around. Mm-hmm. He, he was just such a kind and open person. And he didn't care whether you were a really expert in your field at programming. He would talk to you about that. Um, but if you didn't know programming at all, either he would equally just talk to you and share his enthusiasms. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned drones. You're into that yourself a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, Jim and I got into it kind of the, in the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a lot of fun that with that, the Parrot AR drones. Yeah. So he wrote a control library in uh, Ruby, and then I was sitting next to him, and I wrote a control library in Closure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So then, Who finished then first? <laughs> well, he did, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then we'd, we'd fly him around together and mm-hmm. had a, had a lot quite a lot of fun yeah are you, are you still playing around with ai and robots and all that i i do whenever i get um some spare time i've been kind of crunched in time lately but um mm-hmm. i have my robots um sitting under my desk right now okay um and i have one thing that i've gotten that i've been waiting for the warmer weather to experiment with mm-hmm. and it it shoots fire ah. <laughs> so it's one of these magic things and i haven't tried it but um it's like a wrist device and it's not like it's flash paper. I guess I've never used flash paper, okay. but I guess yep. people are familiar, but flash paper for like magic shows. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking if I could hook this device up to one of my robots, like a Roomba or something, I'd have like a, so. Fire breathing <laughs> robot. Yeah. That's I'd great. have a fire robot I'd upgrade, but I haven't, haven't done that yet. That's, this, this is interesting. I'm always on the lookout for weird things to do during conference talks to wake people mm-hmm. up. I think uh, shooting fire out of anything would be a pretty good, exactly, pretty good tactic. Exactly, exactly. But um, I can't really practice in the house, yeah, so I need to wait till the <laughs> warmer enough. weather to go. Where, where are you? Outside somewhere. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, gotcha. Do you still have snow? No, it just melted, and it's warm, and the grass is growing, Beautiful. and um, the chickens are happy. So I have I have some chickens. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Do they? Do you get eggs from them? I do. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous so, of that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So it, it's fun. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to Closure West in a couple weeks and there's a talk on using closure to protect your flock from raccoons. And I'm super excited about that talk because it addresses a real problem uh, yeah. that I have. <laughs> right. That talk is targeted right at you. Exactly. That's perfect. Exactly. Very cool. Uh, is there anything else that we should cover? We could talk about the cheese shop you want to open someday. Oh, yeah. I I do love cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I went on a trip to England and, and France quite a number of years ago with my husband, and I had never seen a whole shop dedicated to cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were like cheese all in the windows and just everywhere, and I was just so um, my eyes were just as big as dish plates and I was just pressed up against the glass. Yep. So it was just amazing to me. So <laughs> It's like coming home to a homeland you didn't even know you had your exactly. whole life. So, so I'm very impressed. England and France, all your cheese is great. Well done, English and French listeners. Yes. Good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, why don't we uh, leave it there then? Okay. Great. Awesome. Uh, it was nice talking to you. Thanks for yeah, joining us. talking with you too. Yeah. So uh, your book is called Living Closure. That's correct. It's coming out soon. Soon, yes. Soonish. Uh, so uh, go buy it if you're interested in closure, particularly if you're interested in a, a nice seven-week on-ramp into the language and becoming a functional programmer yourself. Uh, today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 143. Thanks for listening. 